Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike German. We are here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And joining us for the first time in the new year is Erica. Guys, how's it going? She's back. She's back. Uh, How's it going? I got to say, this week feels like the worst week of the pandemic, like of the whole time. I don't think you're wrong. I I was in a text chain uh, yesterday and I was saying we all knew that January and February were going to be brutal. But I feel like January is over-delivered on that front. I feel like it has felt... Like, I knew it was going to be bad. The weather's bad. We can't see each other. But it just feels like with sort of world events, local events, everything feels like it's like, this has been a tough week, I feel like. It, it, and I think everybody's going a little crazy anyway. And then, of course, with like Trump just like making everyone that much crazier. Do you know what I mean? Like, he that that's his probably supreme skill <laughs> is making people, people go nuts. And when people are like stuck inside of their house and... You know, the the virus is worse than ever. It's just like, okay, this is like a recipe for disaster. Uh, and I know we're going to get to the Trump stuff and the NBA stuff, but it, but it feels like this week is just like particularly dire in, in, in a way that in, in the past we're, we're always like, ah, you know, obviously it sucks. Life isn't normal, but at least we have this to look forward to. At least this is happening. And like the thing that we thought we could look forward to, which was Joe Biden becoming the president, this is, has everyone on edge. It's like this is actually something that I'm almost not dreading, but the next week where it's supposed to be a time of celebration and renewal, it's like, are we about to get into a fucking war before we get out to the other side? Uh, it is just a very strange time. Yeah, I think the positive outlook, though, is that this feels like, and you never know, knock on wood, it's like it's always darkest before the dawn. It feels like this next two-month stretch, this dip, is going to be tough, like we said. We kind of anticipated it. But then as we start to come out and the weather starts to get better and you know, vaccines for the general population is sort of in sight, I think it will get better. But I do think that this, this stretch, I've been thinking, I've sort of, in my mind, I've called them like the breaking point months. I think for anybody that's like struggling out there and it, it's going to be bad as the virus, like you said, Max, gets worse and worse, Like it's just like, hold on. like like Put your head down and hold on for these next couple months. And I really do feel like we're going to start to come out of it as, as, as the weather gets better and, and we get through this stretch. But yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a tough time right now post Christmas. It's just so weird. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, do you guys find you're immune to bad news at all or terrible surreal events happening? Because we're kind of used to them. It's a good question. Like we become desensitized. Like it's like you know totally. there was like an apparent you know coup at the Capitol, and we all just kind of like it, it happened, and it's like another thing that happened in like a crazy year. Like if that happened two years ago, I think I would have almost looked at it as a 9-11-esque moment. But mm, as, yeah. as is, I was just like, add it to the pile. Oh, I'm not even that surprised. Oh, I kind of thought this might happen. It's like a frog in a boiling pot. It's like they say, if you toss a frog into a boiling pot, it jumps out, right? It freaks out. But if you stick a frog in a cold pot of water and then let it boil slowly, the frog's just going to sit there until it's... Because it slowly gets worse and worse and worse. And before you know it, you're in a boiling pot. Yeah, it um, becomes a bathtub. And then he's like, oh, this kind of hurts a little bit. And then you're eating the frog. No, but, but you're right, Shane, in that anything in any other time that would have seemed uh, incredibly strange or just like, uh, you know, the, the bending of all the rules. Uh, because Trump da- has done this every day for the last four years, it just doesn't seem that normal. Because as we said, like Trump does in one day what would get any other president impeached. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and then he's yeah. been doing that forever. So in that way, things have become like incredibly normal. So w- when the shit happened at the White House, on one hand, 
I was like, okay, well, that's kind of fucked up. On the other hand, I, I wasn't even surprised. And I know five people died. Um, and I know it was, it was a gong show. And you read the aftermath that there's some Congress people that were like genuinely worried for their lives. And you saw one congressperson get COVID because she was in, uh, you know, in, in like a basement room with a bunch of other Republican lawmakers that weren't wearing, that refused to put on masks. And, and you go, like, this is, on one hand, it's insanity. On the other hand, you go, yeah, yeah obviously. Like, like, I mean, when you look at a country like America, which is 340 million people, you expect statistically 20 to 30 million people to be completely out to lunch. That's just like generally how I think about demographics, right? Like, I, and I don't think it's that different than Canada. It's like it's a massive country. And 340 million people, what, what's, what's 20 million of 340? I'm not a mathematician, like 8% or something like that. You're asking right? the wrong question, my friend. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let, let's say it's eight to twelve percent. If you were to get a hundred random people together, you'd be like, "Yeah, eight people are fucking nuts." And the way you know society is kept on track is if the guy in charge is like, "Hey guys, um, we got to deal with those eight crazy people, and we're gonna like handle them with kid gloves, and everyone's gonna behave themselves, and that's the way we're gonna carry on as a society." But when the guy in charge is like going, <laughs> "You guys are beautiful, amazing people, and I'm with you." And then the eight people are like, let's fucking go for it. Let alone the history of racism and everything in that country. But it's just like, it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. But uh, yeah, it doesn't make it any less sad, of course. But it, it, yeah, it's very, very fucking weird. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, what, what are, I mean, before we get to topics, it's just nice to have everybody back uh, on the pod here. What, what have people been up to? I mean, I went into the office uh, last week. Mm. For, I, I had to go in and do a little bit of work that I needed to do in person. That was a very surreal experience uh, in and of What's itself. it like in there right now? I was saying to Shane, it's like like it, it's like going in on a Sunday. Like sometimes you go in on a Sunday and do some editing or get some work done, and because like the engineering people are still there. Like because like obviously it's a t- it's a television station, so they're still broadcasting. So they have people in engineering that need to make sure everything's running right. They have people in master control that are making sure all the shows you're seeing uh, are running right. So there's still those people. Like it was weird. Like in our like sort of like kitchenette area in our office. Like there's like a dude masked up, just like microwaving his lunch the way that he normally would. And so it's like there's there's moments of normalcy where you feel like you're there on a weekend, but then it's like every like wall is plastered with like COVID protocols and you go into the bathroom and we always have CP24 on in the audio in the bathroom and it's all talk of like the virus and the virus and the numbers are going up. So then you start to think you feel like you're in like a weird science fiction movie, like post you know, uh, uh, like extinction level event where it's like, you're one of the few that survived and you go into an office and it's like, it was so bizarre. Cause it's like everything about it was normal. Shane's desk his like his basketball shoes were sitting there by his, it was exactly the same <laughs> oh, as it good. always had been. Yeah. They're still there. Man, take more basketball <laughs> shoes. <laughs> um, and, and then you sit at your desk and once you're at your desk, then it's like normal, you start working and it is, it was just very, very, yeah, surreal. And then like, I, I needed some lunch. So I went over to ginger on queen street and I was like, holy shit, like I'm going to Ginger. Like it was this mix of like, it, it felt like I felt, it felt awesome to be back. Like I actually was like, it made me really happy to be on Queen Street and kind of be back in an office. And then once you kind of are at your desk and looking at your computer, you kind of forget what's going on for a minute. And you're like, oh yeah, this is just what I used to do every day for, you know, years. This is my, this is my job. Um, so yeah, it made me think. Well, about- that's the part about life right now is that it's just like there's some parts of it that feel totally normal. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm seeing my family or I'm going out for a walk, things I just normally do. And then there's other parts that there's just this this missing piece, this large missing piece that you look around and you go, okay, yeah, things aren't things aren't the same. Yeah. How about everybody else, Shaney? Anything going on? 
<laughs> no, not really. It didn't really do anything. No. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about the Matt Devlin thing and how there was a kitty litter with cat turds in it behind me in the interview. The whole time there was kitty litter. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if anybody noticed I that. Notice. I was gonna message I, er- I was gonna message Erica, like, can you punch in so it's like the kitty turds aren't in it? But uh, they're there. And uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> so I was embarrassed about listeners. that. Our listeners can go look at this video on our Instagram and the, you can see the, the kitty turds in the background of the Matt Devlin. Luckily, you can only see the turds for a second in the promo video, but in the, the clip, like the full hour-long interview or the, the hour-long recording, the turds are omnipresent. Wow. Yeah. That, so that's just something I was kind of cringing at thinking about, but besides that, I haven't had anything noteworthy. What about you, Erica? Yeah, no, not not much new uh, with me. I've just been sounds believable. Working, yeah. Just easing into twenty twenty one. I'll buy that. Um, yeah, really, not much. Just lockdown round two. You know. Um, I'm All right, let's get to topics. My... Oh, okay, Max. <laughs> what can you not cut talk her off to like that? She was, yeah. Ah, this was going nowhere. Okay, we guys. can't talk yeah. to Erica for one second, Max. Okay, how was your weekend or since your new year? <laughs> yeah, Max was on the sidelines too long there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that episode move. was so good. That last episode, you guys, was one of my favorites in a long time with um, mm. our cycling. Enthusiast. Oh, the vigilante. cycling vigilante. Mm. Cycling enthusiast. He's also he, that. Not as catchy of a superhero yeah. name, though. No, he was great. We sh- we need to get him back on because, um, yeah, his updates were good. He's a fabulous storyteller. I don't know what he does in his day-to-day, but he's a great storyteller. And you I know what? Yeah, I, I saw him on the weekend, and he had another run-in at another area on Bloor oh. Street West. Uh, fuck, what was he? Do you no, remember I'm, what he start, was I'm starting to think he's looking for trouble now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, ab- he absolutely is. Uh, what was it? It was very funny, though. The, the, yeah, he reads a lot of books, so he's got a good vocabulary mm. and stuff. Yeah, he's a well-read kind of guy. Ah, yeah. oh, shit. We'll have to get him back on. He'll explain his, his, his latest yeah. crusade. He's a bit yeah, of a all vigilantes, though, are out for trouble. That's no secret, right? <laughs> You're a vigilante. That's part of the, the, the deal. Um, all right. Well, I I mean, I guess uh, we'll slide into topics here. Max, Max, he wants to keep it moving and he is the producer. We're boring Max. So keep, keep it moving. Uh, first thing we've kind of touched on it a bit, but it's this madness, uh, that happened recently, uh, in the capital in the United States. Um, obviously, I mean, I don't even need to recount this because it was an omnipresent news story and has been for ever since it happened. I guess a week ago today, was it a Wednesday? I can't, I can't recall, but uh, one of the things I find I, I always sort of like find fascinating about when these sort of like remarkable world events happen that we'll be reading about in history books and talking about for a very long time is where you guys were when you like like how you sort of discovered it as it unfolded. Uh, and I'll start because mine's not very remarkable. Shane and I were writing something for work, so I was in the I was in the office. Shane and I get on a Zoom and we end up like banging out like this script, but we were probably like on there for like two hours, maybe Shane, like kind of like building it from scratch, working out the kinks. Uh, and so because I was at the office, I did the zoom on my phone. So my phone was on my desk. I'm typing on my computer. So I'm not like, I'm not looking at Twitter. Shane and I are like locked in. I'm not paying attention to anything. And then we get off the phone and I'm like, I, I, I open Twitter and I'm like, what the fuck did I miss? I literally have spent the last 10 months online because we got nothing else to do with all this lockdown. So like my phone, you'd look at it every five minutes. And the one time I happened to not be on my phone for two hours, the whole world went insane. So it was kind of crazy that that it happened in that moment. And I I messaged Shane and I was like, did you see that like there's a fucking insurrection while we were writing this script? And Shane was like, nothing surprises me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I went on a, a, 
a run right after we did that that writing session. And then I come back and CNN was on and Alex is like, uh, oh, they're storming the Capitol. I'm like, oh, man, that's so weird. And I just walked into my room and started working again. Like to me, I'm so almost like subdued when it comes to this type of stuff. I don't know how to react or how to feel, but it certainly wasn't one of those moments where I'll always remember it, where I was. It didn't have that feeling to me. Yeah, it was it was remarkable on on my end because uh, it was at Manager Ash's birthday and we were hanging out. Uh, and also, kind of huge happy birthday to Ash, Manager huge, Ash, yeah. for all our birthday. listeners. Yeah, yeah, she's listening right now. And uh, so we had a whole fun day planned. Uh, what do we do? Um, oh yeah, we uh, we went up, we walked up to Stock, which is like a fancy grocery store up at Young and Eglinton. I got her a gift card. Did I tell you that story about how I can't do anything myself? Um, with uh, oh maybe I didn't that's tell that's a story. story. This just yeah, seems we like we don't need to hear a that character story trait. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, um, there's maybe in the last you know six months there's but like two things I've needed to do that uh, specifically uh, could not include Ash, uh, Ash's oversight, Ash's eyes. Because normally I I can't even really send an email without you know, copying Ash on something because she'll know like that. I fucked something up <laughs> to she, her favorite grocery store is stock, which is like this very like bougie, nice place at young and Eglinton. And it's, it's like in this old post office building that's been around from like the 1840s. And they have like, just like everything costs minimum $16, but it's like beautifully wrapped. It's kind of like an experience. And in COVID, a pandemic time like going there is like the only form of entertainment that there is if you want to go somewhere you're like let's go to the fancy grocery store that's like going to be our exciting like day trip or whatever anyway i go up there by myself because i i I jog up there i'm like yeah i'm gonna go for a little jog i go pick up the gift card come back pop by her place and then she was doing a load of laundry so i was like i'll throw some laundry in there (laughs) throw my shit in the (laughs) in the laundry machine get back to my place and I'm like, oh fuck, where did the gift card go? I'm like, fuck, I think I left it in my pants and just threw in the laundry. Mm. So of course, Ash had to retrieve it. When she was throwing stuff into the dryer, she like checked the pockets. She was like, what is this? She's like a gift card. I'm like, by the way, did you see anything in the pockets? Happy (laughs) birthday. I was like, happy birthday. yeah. So uh, anyway, back to the story. So it was her birthday, and uh, we're planning to pop by my folks' place, and we ran into Nick Dyka in the park. We were kind of glued to the TV because it was like CNN was on. It was like all the shit was happening. The Georgia runoff was happening. So on one hand, it was exciting because the Dems were going to get it. We're going to get elected. On the other hand, all this crazy shit's happening in the Congress. We ran into Nick at Queens Park in Toronto. He bass player just for our Kells. Bass player. He hadn't been looking at his phone for like the last like two hours. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, have you been looking at the internet? He's like, and he, anyway, he, he had no clue. Similar to you guys. He had like no idea what was going on. We're like, oh, we have a lot to catch you up on. Um, so, so, so it is kind of, it, isn't that funny when you, uh, when you, when you get to be the person to break the news, uh, to somebody? Cause now it's like, it's, hard it's to sort do. of like a, it's a hard thing. And now it's, it's a novel feeling because in the past, it would be very easy to go a full day without knowing what was going on if you didn't look at like the morning newspaper or something. But, you know, with the Internet, it's a whole different story. But, um, but yeah. But I, I will say, though, um, as it was happening, you're like, these fucking yahoos, like these guys are so embarrassing. The aftermath of it, hearing all the stories, that's been really interesting. You see all the photos, the video. Like, is there anything that, like, sticks out to you guys in terms of, like, 
you know, you see some of like the videos of them planning what they're going to do. You also see photos of them staying between the ropes, like in like like even though they're like taking over the Congress, they got in there, they had no plan of action mm-hmm. whatsoever. Was there anything that you guys thought was like particularly yeah. entertaining or or strange or unsettling? Well, looking at the footage and everything, it reminded me of when I was a kid. Like I um I had this instant. <laughs> I, I've t- I've talked about it before. I was like fifteen. And I caught my mom's boyfriend cheating on her and I committed all these like kind of vandalism esque crimes. Like I stole my mom's boyfriend's uh, car and drove it around and spray painted and threw out his clothes. And I, I filmed it all implicating me in the crime and then put it on the Internet. So th- that is kind of what these people were doing with live streams. And then I was just thinking, oh, it's so funny how you do something now that you get busted immediately, whereas back then it felt like I was never going to get caught and I didn't really know what putting something on YouTube would mean for my career or anything. And it ended up getting almost a million views. So I was just like, oh, fuck, I've done this shit. Like I was as stupid as these people at one time, except I was just 15 years old. (laughs) Well, the whole thing was very childlike. You're you're totally yeah. right, though. Like, mm-hmm. where it's just like there was no organization, and I know like th- there's a whole left right like you know uh, the tribal war- warfare that goes on, where it's like, well, w- during BLM, you guys broke some shit too. But it's just like, sure, obviously there was like vandalism during BLM, BLM stuff, but. It's just like there's generally some like level of organization when it came to the marches and the protests and like sort of like a list of demands that that you know the people involved in BLM wanted to specifically address with these people it really felt like a bunch of 12 year olds like you know at a slumber party or something They're like then we're going to do this and then we're gonna, okay we're here what's next you know like it really felt like it was yeah it, it had that very like teenage angst we have no we have some feelings but we have no plan of action whatsoever have you seen the footage of them once they broke in there was like these uh these ropes, these velvet ropes that are at yeah, movie theaters. Awesome. So they break in, but they stayed within the confines of the velvet ropes because <laughs> they, yeah. they were scared. And, and they're also excited to be there. They're, they're just oh, of course. like videos and stuff. Well, they're they didn't thrilling. think, I think the whole plan was, let's see if we can get in there. I don't think they got beyond what are we going to do once we get in there. Then it just became a photo shoot for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. Well, they're all, I mean, it's so fascinating because now we're seeing over the sort of these last few days, and it was kind of insane how none of those people were arrested on the ground, you know what I mean? And then these other protests and marches that happened in the summer, like you said, Max, for BLM or um, sort of marching in the name of George Floyd or whatever. It's like so many people got arrested or sort of like assaulted by the police. Uh, and then in this situation, it's kind of like they just kind of like got, you know, like like a sheep herding or something just like cattle kind of getting pushed along uh and then they sort of they they all walked away i think there was like something like it was a very small number of rest day of now the fbi is involved they're going back they're finding all these people that posted on the internet and they're kind of going around the country they're all on no fly lists so there's somebody put together a really funny like internet thing where somebody imitated ray liotta uh from goodfellas where it's like everybody's getting like pinched and they have like the song uh by eric clapton and it's like it's like ah (laughs) and that's when like mickey two feet on the desk got pinched and it shows them all getting arrested on (laughs) airplanes and stuff as the music plays very 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 funny well well, this is the thing that i struggle with because like on one hand like it is very serious right like you know you can't just be taking over a government building 
On the other hand, you go, oh, people shouldn't be congregating at the office anyway. So everyone's working from home. These people are fucking losers and uh, are getting arrested for it. Like, there there aren't any, like, real consequences. Like, like, you know, you see sort of, like, insurrections and government takeovers happen in other places. And there's, like, you know, militia with, like, guns and, like, you know, a real calculated effort. And you're like, okay, that seems scary. Like, I don't feel that scared for, for America about a bunch of idiots taking over Congress. Should I be more worried or, or do you guys share that sentiment that it's just like, this is all kind of like buffoonery happening? I think it can turn quick. So like, for instance, like once they breached the Capitol and they got all of the different politicians into the safe rooms, like they, they never were face to face with this mob. Like what happens if that group comes face to face with Nancy Pelosi? I, I don't know the answer to that, but it's like, is the same impulse where they kind of all rushed into the Capitol does that make them all rush toward her? Like, I, like I'm just saying, like it just takes one person to sort of like incite. Like, it can go from silly to like legit dangerous really quick uh, when things are out of control. And we never really saw them come face to face with you know people like Nancy Pelosi or AOC. You know what I mean? It's like who knows what that mob does if they come face to face with AOC, who they all consider like you know enemy number one. That's where it gets weird, and it only takes one person to be insane enough to like physically, you know, hurt somebody. So it's like. I think it seems silly because, I mean, obviously five people died. We know that. But for the majority, we saw all those goofy photos of the guy carrying the, you know, the lecturing and the dude with his feet up in Pelosi's office. Like all of that hilarious, like, it, you know, like Shane said, they were doing it for the gram. Like that shit. And apparently Trump, I, I'd read, I think it was like the Times piece by Maggie Haberman, that like Trump at first was like, this is awesome. Like they're, my people are marching for me. And then once all those photos started to come out, he started to get embarrassed because he thought it looked low class. And it's like, what did Trump think that it was going to look like? Like they were going to be decked out in like black military gear and super organized. Like, of course, they look like a bunch of fucking idiots at a barbecue who have had too many beers. Like, it's just like (laughs) everything's a show for the people. And this was just another show that obviously didn't. I think he's been now that we're seeing like Bob, like as we're talking, they're they're voting on whether or not to to impeach him, I believe. But it's like yeah, to put a timestamp on this, uh, what it is Wednesday at three thirty. By the way, if you're yeah. listening, whenever this comes out, so so things obviously could be changing because they're voting to impeach him right now. A bunch of senators are standing up. I got the TV on. I don't and know as far as on. that timestamp goes, if you are uh, Shane and I's boss, it is Wednesday at seven p.m. Uh, no. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Erica, how did you uh, how did you hear about the insurrection? Um, very boringly, like just saw photos starting to come up online. So then we turned on CNN and saw what was happening. But like same sort of vibe, like at first it wasn't like seeing those images at first were very jarring. And like, like I agree now, Max, that like, yeah, in hindsight, it's it seemed very like 12 year old boys at camp, like, hmm, let's go like rile this up. But at the time, it was kind of scary because like you guys said, like it only takes one person to show up with like a horrific weapon or something you know what i mean like those things can turn very quick and like especially with that amount of people you're like when is this gonna end like is this gonna end at 6 p.m like it was gonna go on until for many days like who knows right so it was kind of scary i feel like when i was watching it but yeah like the following day and stuff and like the aftermath and like even now we're only one week out and it's just kind of like yeah that was a thing that happened but i feel like it will be a very um like 
difficult thing to like Shane and Mike, like one day explain to your kids, like mm. when they come home, when they're like 11 or 12 and like, they're like, oh yeah, like, oh, we learned about like the insurrection today. Like what happened with that? Like, you know, like you're going to be like, wow, like it's going to just be so complicated. And they're going to be like, why was that guy wearing horns? Like, who was that? And like, what mm-hmm. do the horns mean? And like, why were some of them wearing masks and some of them weren't? And like, wait, COVID was happening while this was happening. And then <laughs> like, insane. it's going to just it's be, insane. there's so many layers to it all. And like, it's like, it kind of is just, yeah, a very complicated sort of uh, ending to all of this Trump madness. But yeah, it'll be a it'll be a complicated one. I feel like to to explain to your kids. Well, you hear about this kind of stuff happening you um, with uh, like you, the year nineteen sixty eight kind of comes to mind because uh, like so much two assassinations, just like America, like Vietnam, like so much stuff was happening. Yeah, so when you, I think when you explain 1968 to people, you're like, okay, so who, uh, Ken, Robert Kennedy, no, yep, uh, Robert, Bob, yeah, Bobby yep, Kennedy, yep, Bobby Kennedy, uh, passed, Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Vietnam was happening. What Beatles record came out that year? The White uh, Album. <laughs> the White Album came out, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that that's important. But uh, yeah, it's. Um, well, well, actually, because then Charles Manson was influenced by the White Album, but I don't know when the Manson murders took place. That might have been the next 69. year. Yeah, I think it was sixty nine. Yeah, but yeah, but, no, that's um, a, it's like a, for historical reference, that's a good point. Like we 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 do have these moments, kind of in somewhat modern history, where we do think back on them and they become seminal moments in history classes. This 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 stretch will be that. It'll be very interesting to see how history looks you, back on it. Okay, here's the thing, though. I still. Don't should I take this more seriously? Because you know, you think back in 1968, like there's like soldiers are going to war, like a lot of people are dying in Vietnam. Like it felt like a much more like violent and uncertain time. Now that we all like live on our phones and we're on Zoom calls, it's like a lot of the world kind of carry. It just feels like those events are kind of siloed and they don't seem as like immediately dangerous um, compared to that time because of how technology works. It doesn't really feel like the fate of the Republic, uh, you know, is, is in that could, could change it at any moment because like Biden will be the president, uh, despite the fact that there's going to be some protests that happen on inauguration day. Or, or should I be taking it more seriously that it's like, no, this is like an existential threat to what America is, or is it just kind of a slow decline to America, like losing its shine i guess it's a good question i think it's yeah i think it's a little more like scary maybe than what you may be chalking it up to i would compare it to almost to like bullying like back in the day pre-internet bullying was just like in your face kids were shoving people in lockers and stuff that doesn't happen anymore it's obviously all online now but like it's Mm. just as bad if not worse than ever but it's almost worse because it's kind of hidden and like secretive and like under the table you know what i mean and i feel like these scary groups that get together and organize through the internet and have this common sort of hatred are almost well, scarier actually, than like what it used to be. No, that's a great, great segue actually. Cause that was another question I had uh, about QAnon, right? Let, let's talk about that for a moment because uh, obviously these groups have been mobilizing online. They, they, they have, there's a sense of community that they feel part of. Uh, there's a reality that they're being fed which is that the election was stolen. There's powers that be that aren't being honest with, with the general public. Uh, and I had a friend, like a local a Hamilton pal, who's who, one of the, his parents is been subject to QAnon lies via Facebook, I suppose. He hasn't really gotten into detail with me. But um, yeah, I was wondering, like, have you guys, 
had to encounter that directly? Uh, do you know anybody in your life? Because obviously you have the weirdo friend. On, everyone has the weirdo friend on Facebook that like thinks and posts weird shit. But uh, have you guys dealt with any of that uh, in person uh, in your life? Let's start with you, Shane. Yeah, just through uh, this family tree stuff, I've interacted with so many anti-maskers and so many mm. Trump supporters. So many. Uh, a lot of them believe that Hillary eats children, like literally believe. And we thought these people were normal. Like we had befriended a few people who were normal until things got really political and you had to really state your side. And then we found out this this woman actually believes that Hillary is eating children. And she really thinks that. And it's what's so strange is she's normal in every other regard of life. Give us another give us a, a personality profile of this person. I, I, otherwise, uh, aside from her. I'm kind of scared to say you have no idea. Like, the, like, I, I'm scared to say, honestly, I don't want to publicly say anything too much. Okay. But I've, I've been like harassed a lot online by various weirdos. Wow. And how do you deal with them? At first, I was kind of scared of it like i actually thought like i guess that's a big part of terrorism and all this sort of thing is just the the threat or the fear that something's going to happen before it actually does but now i'm so used to it that i'm i everything just feels so surreal doesn't even feel real so i don't i don't interact with them anymore where before i would every single troll i used to call them i would interact with and get a response out of but i realized that's Mm. what they want so I, I, I just will block them or delete them. But I have to do it quite often. Do you think it's a product of people just being at home too much? Like people having too much time on their hands? Obviously, people would always do that. But I think it's making people go extra crazy because just like instead of like, you know, going out to your job or doing social things, you're like, I guess I'm just going to go down this rabbit hole. There's a podcast called Rabbit Hole about this very issue totally. about people just getting sucked into the Internet. Uh, Mike, do you know anybody? Uh any childhood friends, any uh, any acquaintances that that you've had that you talk to directly? Uh, a lot of people on Facebook. A lot of Facebook people, like people like my age that I went to high school with, like. And I don't know if it's a mix, like you guys are saying. Like, let's say the pandemic didn't happen because there was this huge sort of divide in what Trump sort of brought out in people long before a pandemic. Would it still be at this fever pitch, you know, say he still loses the election, et cetera, et cetera. Would those divides still happen? But COVID is making like the theories and the sort of need to share and vent way more prominent on like my Facebook, like whether people are going on a mask rant or they think that the government is doing something insidious by imposing like a lockdown. Like there's definitely a conspiratorial tone that is overwhelming on Facebook from people that you're like, oh, I thought that was kind of a reasonable person. And then they'll post like, you know, a theory where they're like, well, this is happening and this is happening and you guys are all sheeple and you're fucking sheep. And you're just going, okay, that's interesting. I'm like, not even so much like maybe like to have the thought, but to post it is just wild. What is compelling people to share in this way? And it's probably because everyone is at home and they don't have these outlets and they just want to scream at, at, at the wind because it is frustrating. This all sucks. It sucks for everybody. And so I think for a lot of people, this is their vent, whether it's to lash out at masks or talk about their personal liberties being taken away or whatever the fuck that is. Like, it's like, there seems to be certain truths and it's like, we are fighting this virus. This is the way that the experts say the best way to fight the virus. And it's like, for some reason, they think that like the medical community is in on it and the governments are in on it. And it's all about taking down you. And it's like, why would anybody be interested? Like, it's just like, it doesn't stand to reason, but when you're angry or you're upset, reasonable discussion usually doesn't enter the conversation. So I, I read some of it and then I'm just like, you know, 
it, it is what it is. And I'm like, I wonder if people are going to like chill as this sort of slowly starts to dissipate or if this is just who these people are. Or maybe we're all only like one event away from becoming a little unhinged. I don't know the answer. Yeah, the policing of the internet's an interesting thing to think about because obviously Trump's been banned from Facebook and Twitter and everything. <laughs> it's also kind of funny, like, you know, Trump could walk out into the press pool area and, and you know, have a direct line to every American if he snapped his finger, right? And he could also call into Fox News or book an interview on CNN. Nothing's keeping him from doing it. And he hasn't really done that, which is kind of funny. It kind of shows that this is a guy who only wants to tweet things into the air and not have to address anybody face-to-face because when that happens, you know, he loses any kind of strength and determination that he'd that he would ha- that he'd have to have. Um, but... Um, yeah, well, would you guys think that Trump should have been uh, banned from Twitter? Let's start with you, Mike. Well, here's the thing. Twitter Twitter's a company, you know, they're owned. Like, like a, a lot of people kind of like, I think, falsely equate it with like it's, it's taking away a freedom of speech. Well, it's like, no, I think that the company can do whatever they want. Like if they want to ban somebody that they say doesn't meet their standards, like that's, they get to make that call. Um, it would seem... You know what I mean? In sort of a, an open open market or a free society, uh, and then you just have to go find another platform if you're Trump. You know what I mean? And I guess, I, I guess I just don't know where the responsibility lies. Like as far as the argument that it's like, oh, they're taking away like his voice. This is like, you know, this is the, this is the beginning of the end. This is going to be an Orwellian future where now we're like we, people we don't agree with, we silence them. It's like, well, no, like that dude, that 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 politician Holly who lost his his book deal after sort of backing Trump and his part in inciting the riots. He was like, oh, I've been like, I've been, you know, they're taking my voice away. It's like a publisher can decide to publish whoever they want and break a deal with whoever they want. Like at, at any time, if there was some sort of monetary penalty for breaking the deal, I'm sure the publisher is going to pay it. But that guy's not entitled to have them publish his, his book necessarily. You know what I mean? And it's like, if a company chooses not to work with you, a company chooses not to work with you. And so that part of the argument, I do find like a little bit confusing. Um, now, in the overall sense, like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, you know, like today it's Trump. So we're all like, fuck that guy's, he's a menace to society. He's clearly dangerous. He arguably got five people killed on the sixth, but what happens when it's like somebody who we agree with that they, they ban that's the, that's the argument. So I, I, I don't, I don't know if there's an easy answer to it or, or, but I think it's an uncomfortable conversation, but do I think it's a good thing that Trump is gone right now? It's been a very nice uh, break. I got to say to have him just kind of quietly stewing in the white house, doing whatever the fuck he's doing and not tweeting. Yeah. So I, I wish I had a more definitive answer, but I think it's just more of a, it's a sprawling conversation with nuance uh, more so than just Twitter should ban him or they should let him speak and all that business. Shaney, what are your thoughts? Yeah. It all comes down to majority what the majority thinks. And I think the majority of people wanted Trump gone and Twitter felt the pressure of stockholders and advertising and they just do that. And then once other social media platforms see that Twitter made that precedent, everyone else falls in line or else they're next on the chopping block from what the people think. And then they'll start banning those platforms. So it's all financially motivated. It's uh, So for the company, I think it's a wise move. But is it right? I don't know in the free speech way of things. Because really, if those people didn't storm uh, the Capitol building and Trump still said what he said, it, it, it would be fine, right? What he said. Yeah. It's just because they acted on it. Yeah, I guess free speech is all good and fine. And most people could rant and rave about whatever, and it really wouldn't have that many world, real world consequences. But it's just him ranting and raving 
does have real world consequences, which I suppose is why it needs to be policed or why he needs to be banned. Because because any anybody could tweet heinous shit and it'd be like, okay, that's just a random dude saying stuff. But because he speaks to so many people and people take his words like really literally, that's where th- those are the crimes that yeah, he's guilty exactly. of. Exactly. Like, like if, it, if Obama said we need to be strong right now and not take this, we would look at it internally. But when Trump says we need to be strong, they're grabbing their baseball bats and think that they you got to break shit. <laughs> yeah. I will say though, I just going back a quick for a second, Maxie, you'd mentioned like, you know, the viability of like how dangerous these people are and like uh, Biden is going to be president and all that stuff. The one thing I will say that I, I think is kind of like in the air and weird, and this also gets to Shane's point about, you know, sort of the greatest power that these people have is fear. Terror, terrorism is sort of basically based on what might happen, not necessarily what does happen. Uh, I do think this next stretch, this week and a half, until like Joe's inaugurated and like in the White House, it's a it's it's a soft period where chaos could still reign. Like, do I think that they're organized enough now that all eyes are on like protecting the Capitol, protecting the inauguration? I don't know where they're going to do it. Is it out in the open, all that stuff? But I do think this is like, if somehow one, it takes one crazy person to get to Biden. And if they manage to pull something off, things go into chaos. Cause then you have a bunch of people that are like, oh wait, do we swear in Kamala Harris? Do we like, that's, that's how it happens, right? That's what, and then dominoes start to fall. And then it's like, well, Trump, uh, technically we never sworn anyone in. So I think that these next, like this stretch, and I'm certainly not like a, an alarmist, but I'm just like, that's why I think people are so concerned is it's like, it's not done yet. Biden's still the president elect. He's not the president. They got to have some sort of ceremony. They got to do all this shit that they deem obviously very important with their constitution. And until that's done, I think this is a weird and sort of like vulnerable time for chaos. And I think that's why you're seeing all of the protection. And again, like when all eyes are on something, it's very hard to pull something off. And especially the people that we saw in those photos, they don't necessarily seem the most organized people, but I think this would be like the, the dangerous time for sure. Yeah, and to add to that, the thing that actually makes it the most dangerous is that the people, the Republicans on the right who refuse to go, okay, enough's enough. Like, listen, I get like, you know, typically these are the rules of war and, you know, we go hard at each other and tactically we have all these, you know, uh, different ideas about like how we can win. But when they don't speak up over the insanity, if they don't go enough's enough, that's when things can get really troubling. You know what I mean? Um because all it takes, like if Mitch McConnell and all the Republicans went, said, guys, Biden's the president and we, and that's that. And, but they don't, they, they, they took forever to even say that. And that's, I think, the thing um, that I'm most concerned about. And, and that is the, the, the biggest crime of all these people is that they refuse, uh, you know, to do their job honestly. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you though there, uh, Mike. If Biden got assassinated, would they blame Trump? Like, would Trump be implicated even further in a deeper mm. crime? I guess it depends on who assassinated him <laughs> and, and, and what his message was or her message was. He, they, I think the, the narrative, like middle left, would be that Trump has blood on his hands, that this doesn't happen if Trump just accepts the election results and doesn't spend the next month and a half, you know, whipping his base into a frenzy saying that it was stolen and all that with no evidence, like everything that he's done that sort of history will look back on as insane. Uh, and they'll be like, how did we live through that? And to Max's point, how do all these politicians not stand up and go, wait a second, that's not true. Like there's, you've literally been knocked out of every court that you've tried. You don't have any evidence, but 
Trump understands the power of narrative. The guy is a, a natural born marketer. He's like, if I say it enough, people will believe it. And now we're here. So yeah, if something happened to Biden, I, I think he, people would say he had blood on his hands, whether you could prove it or not. I don't know, but I, I do know that it would create fucking the most chaos ever. And once things are in chaos, who knows how the hell it all works. It goes. Um, well, guys, should we move on to the uh, the NBA? Yes. Yeah. Again, like, you know, hopefully we'll have this podcast out by, by tomorrow. Erica, you think we'll have this out by tomorrow? Tonight? What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I can hit it tonight. Yeah, I feel like we're in such timely times where, you know, it's like we can't lose I know. a day. Things become old news very quick. By, crazy. by the time this podcast comes out, James Harden could be traded. So who knows? But currently the NBA is uh, being overtaken by positive COVID-19 tests as well as contact tracing, meaning like uh, guys that uh, were in contact with people who tested positive, who can't play, who have to like test, you know, have, they have to get a bunch of negative tests. They're not playing games. Bunch of games have been postponed. This is sort of the January wave that apparently Adam Silver, the commissioner, warned teams this is going to happen. But I think now that we're here, is it's more than they maybe thought, or at least it's it's probably more difficult to manage in real time when you're doing it as opposed to sort of what you imagine it's going to be like. So the NBA is continuing on. Uh, another storyline in the NBA is that Kyrie Irving, uh, who is like sort of a, um, a very eccentric player for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, decided to stop going to work uh, last week. He basically, when this happened, originally happened, they basically said Kyrie Irving is out for personal reasons. And they asked his coach, Steve Nash, and Steve Nash is like, I, I, I actually don't know the reason. I don't know anything about this. And apparently the organization didn't know. And Kyrie just really hasn't been going to work. Um, nobody knows, maybe at the highest level of the Brooklyn Nets they know. Uh, but last night, as like a, a Nets game was tipping off, he showed up on a Zoom for a politician in, in New York City. Uh, so he, he was caught on video partying at his sister's 30th birthday party, I think in like Newark or something. Uh Anyway, it's Kyrie's kind of like he's been seen in places that aren't his job. Well, not giving a reason that we know of of why he's not going to his job. So the NBA, we've already talked about James Harden doing this, but what were your thoughts when you saw the Kyrie stuff, uh, Max? Uh, there's nothing like it, really. Um, you know, I really commend these players that have been outspoken on you know social matters of the day, especially this last year. Seeing the NBA take take hard stands on stuff has been amazing. Probably one of the most like uplifting moments of the year was when the Milwaukee Bucks refused to take the court uh, out of protest. And I thought that was like incredibly powerful. Um, so it's funny. On one hand, there's something uh, sort of like awesomely like enlightened about Kyrie, who's like, because when he speaks about issues of racism and class, it's like he really seems to know what he's talking about. So I'm like, okay, th I like this guy a lot. And, and also... Uh, he's donated so much money um, to various causes, you know, the WNBA, um, you know, a lot of communities uh, of color. Like he's an incredible, incredible guy in that regard. <laughs> but on the other hand, he's making like $35 million a year to play basketball. The reason why he's in a position to not go to work is that he gets paid very handsomely to, to put a ball in a hoop. And also... Let's keep. Let's, let's remember. This is an incredibly hard time for us. The thing that brings idiots like us a lot of joy is watching people like him ex excel at the thing they're amazing at. So it's like. So it's like I, I, I appreciate you wanting to go to like the community meeting on Wednesday nights at the local hall. This is like <laughs> awesome. But also like. There's a lot of people that could probably do that. Not everybody can do like a crazy crossover and pull up from 40 feet and like, you know, hit a three with his eyes closed. I'm like, that would also be really helpful if we're talking about 
you know, what, what, what difference you can bring to your community. <laughs> so I think the short answer is, is that uh, as, as good as his intentions are, I guess this is a long answer, <laughs> as good as his intentions are, uh, I think he's kind of missing the point because uh, he should, he, he's, I don't think completely aware of like what a position of privilege he is in and how he ought to respect that as well which is him being paid very handsomely to, to play basketball. I'm, uh, Shane, what do you think? I think there's more to it than just he's choosing not to play. I think there's a lot of discord in the NBA right now, and people are feeling like they're just there to entertain people, but they can't live a life of their own, and they, they want to just not play this season. And a lot of people are just doing it for the money. I was just looking at a post with uh, – what's his name? What's the guy who used to play for the Raptors, uh, Tracy – McGrady? Not Tracy McGrady. McGrady. No, uh, the other guy who's like Tracy McGrady, but not Tracy Murray. Tracy Murray. No, fuck, his name's not even Tracy. Oh, but <laughs> he he just did an Instagram post where he was just saying it's all about the money right now. That's the only reason players are playing. And I love oh, the absolutely. idea. I love the idea. Of fuck you, money. And so it's such like a a fantasy just to not do anything and do what you want. So in a way, I love it. I don't know the full story. I can guarantee you, it's not just that he doesn't want to play. I think there's unfair things going on within the NBA that aren't fully known right now. Well, I was gonna, yeah, I was, I was gonna say it's interesting because George Hill came out and said basically it's like I'm gonna, so that because of these rising COVID uh, cases that have hit the NBA uh, player pool, they've instituted a bunch of more restrictions. To Shane's point, it's like they no longer can have like a guest in the hotel room in different cities. They aren't allowed to leave their houses at home. So it's almost like bubble restrictions, but in real life. And this is just, I guess, something they're allowed to impose on them because of the arrangement with the players union, et cetera, et cetera. But George Hill um, came out. Uh, and he basically said he's played for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He said, he goes, listen, he's like, I'm not going to not see my family. No one can stop me from doing what I'm going to do. He goes, and if it's an issue, then maybe we shouldn't be playing. So that's an interesting statement because it's like, I get where he's coming from. But the thing is, like the players voted to play because if they don't, they're not going to get that money. So Kyrie Irving can afford to not get some checks. Like Shane, uh, Max said, he makes like around $40 million a year, $35, $40 million a year, something like that. It's like, there's other guys on the lower end of the spectrum that kind of need to play in order to like pay for their lifestyle, pay for the families, whatever it is they have going on. And so the equation is kind of simple. Like, yes, it is entertainment. Do we need it? Probably not. But at the end of the day, like the whole thing, the owners, the TV partners, the players or the employees, like they've agreed to come together and do this undertaking because at the end of the day, they do want to keep their money. Just like I'm sure there's people that don't want to be going to Shoppers Drug Mart and working at the pharmacy right now. They want to be staying home or whatever it is that your day job is. It's like people don't want to do it, uh, but they do it because um, they need they need to get the money. So now the players make a lot of money. So you'd think, hey, if they have to shut it down, they can shut it down. But the reason they agreed to do it is because they want to keep the checks coming in. And so that's, that's the trade-off. That's the bargain. That's kind of the deal that they're in right now. And so when you get guys here and there being like Kyrie just being like, hey, this is getting crazy. I'm not showing up anymore. It's like, that's fine. But then like, all, like you would think though that per the arrangement, you'd have to opt out of the money at that point. And I agree with you, Max. Like I think Kyrie does a bunch of amazing social stuff. He also says some pretty zany things. You know, people like to laugh at Kyrie, but he does some great things. I don't know if this is like a silent protest against these like draconian measures that they have, uh, Shane, like the restrictions that they have. I don't know if he's just having an off like mental week. Who knows? He hasn't said, right? But I think like at its very base, it's like guys agreed to play this season, you know? And if Kyrie didn't want to, he could have sat it out. I think that's the thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about it. It's like, yeah, I love fuck you money. I love not being, not having to do what you don't want to do. 
uh, Kyrie Irving's at the top at his of his sport. If he doesn't want to play a season, great. But it's like I'd rather that money go back into the salary cap to pay two, three other guys six million dollars a season, uh, guys from the G League or yeah. whatever it is. Okay, and that that's where it feels a little like I don't know disrespectful or something because it's like okay, but you can do we, we don't know if Kyrie's going to keep the money or not, or going to get the money, do we? He's still gotten. He's still got. He's been paid up to this point until the video of him dancing at his sister's birthday party, and then now they're look. The league's now looking into it, and it'll be like the Harden thing where he was at the the club. We're basically. And by the way, if if, if Kyrie goes, hey, by the way, like if if he a, a fuck you tweet chain would be like just like one tweet being like, by the way, I'm donating my entire salary this season to BLM or to the WNBA or to whatever like righteous cause I'd be like okay sick like continue to sit up I could see him doing that too he's he's me too you know um and by the way Drew Holiday uh, on Milwaukee Bucks he's donating his entire salary to black owned businesses in Milwaukee which is like fucking respect that's like incredible um yeah but I think the thing yeah I think the reason why it feels like a bit of like a slap in the face is that like everybody is doing things uh, that they normally wouldn't do, uh, you know, to pay, to put food on the table. Like your brother, uh, Mike, you know, he, he went and lived in a bubble with TFC down in Hartford and down in Florida away from his partner and his family and his friends because he wanted to make a paycheck. And people are doing that all the time. And a lot of people can't even get go to work. Like, I can't go to work right now. Like, I, my job is illegal right now. So everybody's making sacrifices. So I think that's, that's where it feels uh, where... Kyrie's like misreading the room a little bit. We're just like, yo, bro, just so you know, everybody is struggling. No one likes this. Absolutely no one likes this. It is not ideal, but uh, someone making, you know, millions of dollars a year should be a little bit more like tactful about it, I suppose. But if you agreed to something and then something turns out differently than you thought it would, you have the right to change your mind too, right? Like if you said, oh, I really want to play, I'm the lead singer. And because you're the lead singer, the band needs you to perform, right? Like you would have every right to change your mind if you all of a sudden felt mentally unwell or like you just needed to see your sister or family. But people would unharshly criticize you because you are such an important component of the Arkells and their touring. Well, well, this is it. I mean, I think it's a thing about being forthcoming. I think we have sympathy for his head coach, Canadian Steve Nash, where they asked Steve. He probably knows. He 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 said that, but he's not going to say. I, I bet you he knows. Well, anyway, him leaving everybody in the dark, that's the thing. By the way, Avery Bradley, guard on the Lakers, who makes a lot less than Kyrie, he didn't go to the bubble because he was like, I can't, I don't want to go to the bubble. Like, I got to be with my family. And you're like, okay, respect. You came out, you said that, you didn't want to go, all good. It, it just, it's just Kyrie being like, Kyrie has this tone where he goes, you, you don't understand. You just, you just don't understand. <laughs> and then, like, he leaves you in the dark for like a few days, which is what he's doing to everybody right now, which well, makes I the whole thing that outwardly he's like that. But like people who say the same thing about Russell Westbrook, it was that he's this huge asshole. And then all of his teammates were like, he's actually not an asshole at all. He's one of the nicest guys. Now the narrative has changed. He's like the best teammate to be a part of. And I think things could be going on like that with Kyrie and the next year it'll be revealed that he's some like altruistic, generous dude who's very thoughtful. My, my thing with Kyrie that I've always found fascinating with him is it's like, he seems to have like a real disdain for the construct of the NBA, like the show, like, like the, the performative aspect where he's like, 
you know, it's like, you just got to let people like who, like, just, just let us do our thing. Like all this, like gossipy bullshit. He said over the past, you know, like year at different times, he's sort of like, he's put on Instagram, like, you know, don't all, don't fall for the narratives and all that stuff. And he has like a real sort of disdain for like the carnival aspect the entertainment aspect of the thing. He just wants to show up and hoop. The thing is though, it's like the reason he's allowed or he's able to make as much money as he does and has like, you know, the Nike contract and all that. And he, and he can, and he ends up spending that money into worthy causes and all that stuff. But the reason that like the construct that he despises so much is the thing that allows him to exist the way that he exists. So it's like, it, it almost comes off almost as like a contempt for fans, but it's like Kyrie, but don't you realize that like you joined the circus and this is just a part of the circus. And he kind of wants to exist in this very pure area where he's like, no, I'm an artist. It's like, and I, I, and I'm not about this circus life. It's like, yeah, but like NBA Twitter and the memes and all like, like guys like LeBron have always understood this aspect of the job. It's not just about putting the, the, the ball in the hoop. Um, so, so for Kyrie, who's like a very sensitive and sort of like seemingly sort of like a nuanced guy, it's like he just, it's kind of like he wants it both ways. He's like, I'm an artist. Let me cook. I don't want all this other bullshit. It's like, yeah, but dude, you don't get the 35 mil without the other bullshit. That the carnival is the thing that raises the prices. It gets people excited. It's like, it's a star's league and you're a star. Otherwise, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's the same thing about like an actor or musician who's like, no, no, no like, like, stop bothering me. Like, I just, I'm about the craft, and then like, I don't, 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 like, don't take pictures of me or something. Like that. I'm like, it's like, well, you kind of signed up to be a famous person, like, mm-hmm. or, or the reason why. Not necessarily though. It's like Marshawn Lynch when he wasn't talking to the press. Everyone thought that was kind of awesome in a way, how he wasn't playing by the rules, and it I elevated mean, the, the, his fame in a way. Uh, remind me what happened with Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is a famous football player. Yeah, I remember. Player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at, when instead of being interviewed, which is mandated by the league where you have to conduct at least like a 30-second to two-minute interview after a game, he would just say, I'm only here so I don't get fined. And he would just mm-hmm. repeat that over and over and over again. And he would never give any information about his life. So he was... Well, at least he played the game. <laughs> at least <laughs> well, kind he played of in, in a the way. game. Yeah. Yeah, and but I, I think Kyrie does play the game and he like the the game itself and he plays it better. And in a way, this makes the NBA more exciting because it's another storyline that the NBA loves. And this has become <laughs> a huge Twitter thing. And he's such a fascinating dude. Like at one point, he was saying that he was a flat earther. Oh yeah. In a weird yeah. way that people believed it, yet he was kind of fucking with people. And I still don't know if he was serious and then changed his mind because he was embarrassed. Like he's that odd that I find he's more interesting than if he was playing the game. He's playing the game more by not playing the game than if he was actually playing it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it feeds into the, it, it, by not wanting to be a part of the carnival, he becomes yeah. the main attraction of the carnival. A hundred percent. Like I would not know who Marshawn Lynch was if he didn't pull that shit. Yeah. Russell Westbrook and his, just his a- angry demonstrative ways. I, I probably wouldn't know who he was if he wasn't that way yeah it is an interesting thing like the whole like ecosystem of an like the, the reporters that report on these things the pundits that talk about it on tv guys like us that are talking about it in a podcast the fans that are you know in our little basketball groups and stuff like we eat this shit up we debate it it becomes like this whole ecosystem uh that drives revenue and excitement and i guess that's the thing where it's like on its face you go like Kyrie, like, yeah, maybe you don't need this ecosystem of press to help lift you up. But like the eighth guy in the bench is going to get a feature and he's going to get an Osmos shawarma commercial. And then all of the guys eat, you know, not <laughs> metaphorically and literally <laughs> discounted uh, at Osmos <laughs> <laughs> with a great discount. You know, like all of your, all your players union is stronger because there's only like 
20, if that true stars in the NBA. And then there's like 380 just people that are really good at basketball that work, you know, and it's like, it's like the ecosystem all works in a very unique way. And guys like Blake Murphy do great work and they get to work because there's interest in it, blah, blah. There's this huge tapestry of stuff. But I think to your point, Shane, just Kyrie trying to operate outside of it, even if he doesn't mean to, is ultimately helping the system. Yeah. Well, I think about guys like Dame Lillard and is his name CJ McCollum? Yeah, or, yeah. Is yeah, that his name? Yeah, well, they're, they're so good, but they're almost so boring and so playing the game. You forget that they're superstars. Like CJ just became on my radar in the last year and he's been great for many years. But yeah. he's probably the most boring, great <laughs> player ever to play. Tim Duncan with like, like, like George Hill, right? Yeah, Too. exactly. Like there's so many forgettable guys who are playing the game, but they, they're not entertaining at all. Well, guys, this has been like a sprawling convo. We're over an hour. Max, should we just get to Shane's surprise or do we want to hit the yeah. third topic? Okay. No, fuck. no, let's go to Shane's surprise. Okay, this is another sports topic here. Um, Tiger Woods documentary. Has anyone seen it? It's Happens. part one. It was recommended to me uh, by a good friend, though. That friend was me. It and was, it, yeah. is, It's an excellent kind of, like, I'm blown away that they actually got the access and what was said in the documentary is said because I can't imagine Tiger approving this documentary. So it got me thinking into legacies and what is Tiger Woods' legacy going to be, do you think? Is it going to be that he was the best golfer and all this sexual exploits are going to be forgotten? Or is it going to be both? Or is it just going to be that he was a real hound? <laughs> okay, a, good a question because I... I just got a book uh, sent to me, actually, uh, in the mail, which uh, by our friend Sean Menard. Sorry, um, I'm breaking. Hold on, I'm breaking in with breaking news. James Harden. James Harden was just traded to the Brooklyn Nets. Whoa! Whoa. So Kyrie oh. will probably come back to work now. <laughs> is, is, is Kyrie uh, traded to Houston? I don't think he's going the other way. I cannot believe that Philly wouldn't match the price, though. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Brooklyn is acquiring Houston's James Harden. Damn it! Our division just got insane like the nets now have kevin durant james harden and ostensibly Kyrie. they haven't said who's going back from brooklyn so it could be Kyrie. how wild would that be if i hope it's Kyrie. i hope it's Kyrie. i hope Kyrie's on his way to houston that'd be sick because he wanted to go to brooklyn like his whole thing was like he he signed with boston got run out of town there he was going to homecoming because he's from new jersey and he was like excited to be a part of the community like brooklyn really welcomed and welcomed him but by not going to work maybe he's going to houston that would be very ironic i'll let i'll keep people updated sorry to cut you off but i thought it was kind of exciting wow Uh, that that doesn't happen on on a pod in real time so for our listeners yeah that's james harden that's good there you go so um what i was saying uh what was i saying what were we talking about oh okay sean menard sent me a book yeah because he thought i'd enjoy the book it's called stillness is the key it's sort of like a daily it's a small little book it's like kind of daily not meditations but like you know, advice about how to sort of be in the moment and be as present as you can. Yeah. And the book you is like just filled with a lot. Yeah, exactly. Have you read the book, Shane? Do you know? Are you familiar? No. Okay, but that's the idea. It's, it's a mindfulness kind of book. And the, every chapter is just like different examples of different like historical characters who either got it right or didn't get it right. And there's a whole excerpt about Tiger Woods and basically how uh he came from a pretty like his his family upbringing is really interesting his dad was a bit of a womanizer and a real Mm -hmm. tyrant 
Um, and and so even though it led to a lot of discipline in the world of golf, which made Tyler uh, Tiger so amazing, it also probably left him a little void when it came to personal relationships. And then you see how he was just sort of like, you know, chasing after women and fame and forgetting the things that are truly important to you, et cetera, et cetera, which obviously led to his demise. Now, why I bring this up is that I was in reading like the one paragraph description of all the the trouble that he had, you had sex addiction, probably alcohol problems. I was like, oh, I kind of, I almost kind of forgot them a little bit, which is weird because obviously there it was a massive story when it was happening. So to answer your question though, in the year 2050, when we look back, I think it's going to be mostly about golf because I think Mm -hmm. there's some other famous um, athletes from like back in the 50s or 60s. And obviously the media culture and celebrity culture is different now. But who, you know, I don't know, Mickey Mantle or something like that. Like guys that definitely like had troublesome personal lives. But you just remember Mickey Mantle as being an awesome baseball player. I know, but but it wasn't blown up to be a scandal. It's like if Motley Crue existed now, they would be borderline criminals. But because it happened in the 80s, they're celebrated. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. But I do think that like people are going, like they're gonna be like, oh yeah, he had that incident back in, um, oh yeah, back in 2015. That was a weird time. But he did come back and he won another Masters. That was pretty crazy. He did that. Like the redemption story, I think is what people want to remember the most. And so I think that will uh, supersede any any of the, uh, the bad stuff. That, that's my guess. It is very what do, what do you... cool in the movie. It shows how he gets into, I don't want to say too much. I know this would annoy the hell out of Mike, but it just gets into how he gets into his mental state. And it's a very interesting way that kind of brought out his superpower, which is being locked in. And I'll mm-hmm. just leave it at that. But I also wanted to, as a side question, if you want to answer this, what do you think your legacy would be? Mostly curious about Max here, because I guess you're the only one who might have a legacy. Like in <laughs> fame, fame wise, I mean, like, you know, I'll, I'll have a legacy to maybe my daughter. Uh, good question. I don't know. I don't really think about that too much. Um, I don't know. Hopefully a nice guy. Good, good songwriter. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have a, yeah, yeah cool hair. Um, <laughs> Jewish. Half, yeah, Jewish. Half Jewish. Do you curl your hair or is that natural? No, this is, uh, I slept on it and it just kind of came out like that, so. I really could use a haircut, though. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, back to the Tiger Woods question. Mike, what do you think? Uh, how do you think Tiger will be remembered? My first question is, Erica, as, as somebody who didn't, like, you didn't, you didn't like, follow. <laughs> it's just funny that you're saying my first question when it, you were just asked the question. Because <laughs> well, I'm, I'm interested about how she views Tiger. Yeah. She didn't, like, she wasn't a oh, part right. of, like, his ascension. And, but she probably knows him as a tabloid star. But also he's considered, like, the Michael Jordan or the Muhammad Ali of his sport. So it's like, how, what's your, what's your thoughts on Tiger? Just very sort of, like, cursory, like, well, I grew up in a big golf household. My dad mm. is obsessed with mm. golf. My brother, Jack, his middle name is Nicholas. Um, wow. And it's very, yeah, it's a big golf Is it culture. Nicholas or Mickelis? Nick with an N. It's Mickelis, I found out, isn't it? Jack no, that, Mickelis? No, that, that's Phil Mickelson. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Edit that out. I'm sorry. Yeah, I learned that it was no, no, in the doc. That that is. No, no, her yeah, brother yeah, is yeah. Jack Nicholson Mickelson. Yeah. That's, his, that's the... The middle names. <laughs> well, that fact blew my mind while I was watching the doc. Mm-hmm. But continue. 
So my dad's a big golf guy. Uh, he idolizes Tiger, kind of always has, obviously was not a big fan of the scandal. So when you say like, what will his legacy be? It's interesting because I think there will be two types of people. There will be people like my dad who kind of like, yeah, was a blip in the thing. And then there will be people like my mom who fucking hate him because of the scandal. She thinks he's like human trash fire and ash is um, nodding by the way over here (laughs) yeah yep yep yeah and anytime he's on the tv my mom like will uh, speak her mind about him and whatnot and my dad's like well well, yeah but he's the best athlete in the world and whatever so i think though i think he'll be generally regarded for his athletic achievements mainly because clearly the brotherhood of golf has forgiven him like everybody in golf loves him commentators love him his competitors love him and respect him and everyone's None of them talk about the scandal anymore. And I feel like when his legacy comes time to be talked about, it will be those people creating it. And they clearly don't care about his scandal. So for me, I think people so, want to root for him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I am very curious about this for some reason. I, I ask every, every woman I encounter is not every woman, but when we're talking about Tiger, is, <laughs> is that the grocery is store? Ta- Sir, do you want to buy the apples hey, or not? Hey, you're a woman, right? Um, it, <laughs> Is Tiger an att- considered an attractive man? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah, he's handsome. He's definitely handsome. I, I like. I'm not very familiar with young Tiger, but I think he's a good looking guy. Yeah. Oh, he was hot back. Bang in the day. body. I thought yeah, so too, body. but my, but Alex says no. Hmm. Which back shocked in the day? me. Yeah, I thought so. She said he was just cute when he was like really young in his teenage years, but said he was never truly attractive. Uh, by the way, uh, our favorite, one of our favorite Twitter followers, Network, uh, just tweeted in capital letters, is it for Kyrie, yes or no answer at WOGSPN? <laughs> Which is funny because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is not. It's for Levert and Allen and like a war chess of picks. Basically, they gave oh, every pick. Oh, I think they gave four first, round, four first round picks and two pick swaps, I think. Fuck. So we got a big three oh, of Kyrie, that, if he ever shows up again for good. work. Uh, Talk about the personalities, though, on that team. Those are three crazy guys. <laughs> yeah. Like Harden, Kyrie together, and and Durant actually probably seems the most like even keel of the three. And Durant's kind of been known to be a little wacky, too. Wow. <laughs> um, anyway, Shane, what do you think is your legacy? Oh, My question. legacy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like Tiger... Prolific sex master. <laughs> 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 <laughs>